Hi, I'm Dave Miller at DriveWithDave.com. I get to drive some of the fastest, coolest, sexiest cars on the planet. Ever since I bought my first Ferrari, I've been immersed in the global car community. Now I travel the world uncovering the hidden gems in luxury transportation and connecting with extraordinary car enthusiasts. Join me as I find the most exotic cars, meet the owners, and get the behind-the-scenes stories of the world's most exclusive rides. Every car guy has the dream of walking in somewhere and being surrounded by dozens of exotics. Hypercars from Ferrari, Pagani, McLaren, Aston Martin, and such. So I'm walking into my, my guest's business, and well, it's a little bit like Dorothy in The Wizard of Oz when she finally lands the house. We're not in Kansas anymore. Not a museum. These cars are living, breathing machines waiting for their owners to stop by and drive them. Or, as our guest today explains, their cars delivered to almost anywhere in the world, detailed, fueled, and ready to go. But his business didn't start out that smoothly. Quite the opposite, as we'll discuss his interesting segue from TV and movies into his position as president and CEO of Auto Concierge in Los Angeles, California. A familiar face in Hollywood, you've seen him on TV, Grey's Anatomy, Anne Heche's love interest in Men and Trees, and his regular on Chicago Fire. Argo, The Switch, Home Run, The Lone Survivor, I'm not going to bother reading the long list of movies that Scott Elrod was in. So what makes a successful actor pick up a second career to become equally successful in the very niche market of curating some of the world's most beautiful cars owned by some very interesting people? From air traffic controller to Hollywood actor, I guess you would say he's now directing traffic at his newest venture, Auto Concierge in Los Angeles, California. Scott Elrod, good morning and welcome to the show. Wow, that's that's amazing. <laughs> Who's that guy? I want to meet him. <laughs> Scott, that is you. I wanted to focus a little bit on your background. Where did your passion for fast stuff begin? I mean, I, I don't know if it's all fast stuff, but it's just, you know, anything I think with a motor is, 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 uh, is intriguing to me, um, whether it be a a lawnmower or a riding lawnmower or, you know, a dirt bike. It's just, uh, I've been around it my entire life and it was, you know, attribute to my father who, you know, we just, we just had that stuff and we were always tinkering on, you know, whether it be the, the riding lawnmower or the, the three wheeler. I date myself because they don't, uh, they don't have those anymore, but uh, anyway, right. um, we were always working on something, you know. We were mm-hmm. always out in the yard or in the, you know, the uh, the back forty, as I called it, um, doing something. I'm almost a little bit afraid to hear about your lawnmower days. What'd you do? That was kind of what got me started in just this entrepreneurial spirit, you know. Is is everybody had grass and they needed mowed, so. Dad took me down to the local John Deere dealership and introduced me to debt, and uh, I got a lawnmower and had that thing paid off that you know end of the summer. But yeah, that was kind of it. And I mean, when it broke, we just we fixed it, you know, or mm-hmm. even the cars or whatever it may be. I mean, to the hot water heater at the house, uh, to the 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 weed whacker, you know, whatever it was, we just that was not about paying somebody to do something that that he thought and knew he could do. Mm-hmm. So I guess he just kind of passed that gene down to me. Speaking of passing stuff down to you, I th- you had mentioned when I was up at your shop, you had mentioned that you'd, you you were lucky enough to have two dads, and they were both involved in fast stuff. Yeah, I mean, both dads are, are fighter pilots, you know, um, Air Force and Navy, aggressor, top gun, and then uh, one went on to fly for Northwest Airlines and, and drive a bus for about 20 years, essentially. But uh yeah, so I've always been around, you know, airplanes and 
mechanical type, you know, whatever. And, and, uh, it just, it just kind of, uh, was something that obviously got me interested in. And then, you know, I, I took it, I, I just somehow ended up being around cars and creating this business many years later, but I've always had a passion for, you know, like a mechanical, a driver, you know, the cars or, like I said, anything with a motor. Mm-hmm. And and uh, I understand that the state of Colorado and you, you tore up a little bit of back roads out there. Yeah, um, was out in Colorado. I mean, I, I grew up there and, and moved out to L.A. in 2004 to pursue acting. But, uh, yeah, for the most part, we landed in Colorado. Um, my dad was a uh, A-10 fighter pilot in Louisiana, which is where my brother was born. And then uh, in 86, I think it was at uh, the age of 11 we moved to uh, Colorado so we uh, dad joined the Colorado International Guard and uh, he stayed there for the the duration of his career left the Air Force and and then started working for the Air National Guard and and when you were in Colorado he was working for the Air National Guard flying for the Air National Guard and you were busy breaking bones um, <laughs> well, I, I, I eventually, uh, I eventually joined the Colorado International Guard and, uh, I did six years with them, uh, as an air traffic controller because the plan was to go fly planes like my dad yeah. and, uh, they were an F-16 unit at the time. When we first got there, they were flying A-7s, but, uh, yeah, they transitioned over to F-16s and that was the dream. And then after six years of, uh, the Air Force, I, uh, I decided to get out, um, and just realized it wasn't uh, it wasn't my cup of tea as as much as I I respect the Air Force I just I, I wasn't I think made out to be uh, you know a lifelonger right, so right, ended right, up right. getting out and then got into you know high tech and all that stuff and then you know eventually transitioned out here to L A in two thousand four to pursue acting and then came up with this idea for storing cars and taking care of people's assets around two thousand seven and finally got the building uh, a couple years later and really took it to the next level. So you you brought up auto concierge, and I know I gave a little intro, and I wasn't kidding when it is a little bit like Oz, you know, where that, that, that old movie where it goes from black and white to color, and that's about what it's like when you enter the door. It's just a, it's a wonderful space, and I imagine it was just easy-peasy to put that all together. Had to be a piece of cake. Uh, you probably snapped your fingers and everything was, was, was done, or, or is there another story? Yeah, exactly. I'm just going to go with that because I don't need any more gray hairs reliving the, uh, the five years of stress. Um, God, if only that were the case, uh, I, I probably wouldn't be here because everybody and their brother would be doing it. But, um, you know, it was, it, I, I, I mean, I, I, don't get me wrong. It, it wasn't a walk in the park, but I was surrounded by some, some, you know, great individuals that supported me and, and I had some, uh, amazing resources, but you know, it was still a struggle, you know, like anything. I mean, for, for those listening who have a business, I'm, I'm sure they understand, but yeah, it was trials and tribulations and, it was, uh, you know, a lot of hard work, a, a little bit of luck and, and some great timing. I mean, there's some things I look back in the last five years that had that not happened, I, I probably wouldn't be here having this conversation with you. So that's where I attribute the, uh, the timing and the luck to, but, um, you know, it's a process. But you know, Scott, you can, you can be surrounded by the greatest mentors. You can, you can be surrounded by bankers that are, that are, uh, interested in your cause, but you need a cause, you need a business, you need a something. So somewhere along the line, 
something caused you to to start Auto Concierge. You had this idea, and how? how where'd you get the idea for this? Um, I was uh, I was coming off a TV show, uh, Men in Trees. This is two thousand seven, two thousand eight, and um, there was a potential writer strike and actor strike going on in the industry, and so. Um, we weren't sure if we were going to return the next season. And I was just like, you know, so frustrated with the whole situation. So I kind of went back to my roots and I was introduced to a gentleman who had a couple of cars um, and they had just been sitting in his garage, beautiful home in Beverly Hills, you know, three car garage. And in it sat uh, two 1947 Woodies. One was a sportsman and one was a uh, wagon. Mm-hmm. And then there was a 1931 American Austin and those cars had sat there for probably the last, you know, 15 years. And and maybe they've moved a handful of times during that time. But it was one of those things where it just, it all started because of a dead battery, if that makes sense. Uh, Give give me more. (laughs) It wouldn't start. I mean, like, you know, back in, let's just call it, you know, 2000 or, or, you know, 1997, you know, the customer, the owner of the car gets mm-hmm. in it and it's wrong, wrong, uh-huh, wrong, you know, uh-huh. and then at some point, you know, it doesn't start and then it just sat. And then eventually it turned into now the carburetors all gummed up and then, you know, basically the fuel turns to varnish and now seals start to crack. And then 15 years later, you basically have this mummy that's just sitting there. Mm-hmm. Well, he was all excited to take it for a Sunday drive, and now it turned into a process. And, you know, now he goes down to the local, you know, Napa or, or Pep Boys or whatever and puts a new battery in it, and sure enough, it starts. But it hadn't driven for how many months, so maybe the carburetor's gummed up and it's misfiring, or you've got a, a fouled plug or something, so he barely gets it out of the driveway, and he's just like, I don't have time for this you know, parks it back in the driveway and it just ends up sitting. So fast forward to 15 years later, you know, his wife's like, get these cars moving or we're going to get rid of them. Because for the last 15 years, my everyday driver has been being, you know, <laughs> exposed to the elements and parked outside. <laughs> so, I mean, there was a whole bunch more backstory, but essentially I took those three cars one by one and I restored them for them and got them in, you know, full turnkey ready to go running perfect condition and now she's okay with parking the everyday driver outside because they can enjoy these cars Mm -hmm. on a uh, you know weekly or regular basis Uh but when i returned the cars he still had the same problem you know that the wife presented him with which is my everyday drivers are being parked outside so at that point i was like well there's got to be more people like this family that live in multi-million dollar homes that have more cars than car spaces. Uh huh. Especially in so, LA. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, especially where, you know, I mean, I've got, I've got two things going for me. Real estate is a premium mm-hmm. and this is like the car capital of the planet. You know, it's all about cars here in LA. You know, I would attribute to like Fort Lauderdale or Miami all about boats, but LA is all about cars. Yep. yep. Uh huh. So we, kind of I sat down and I looked at it and I'm like all right how do we fine-tune this and put together a little business plan and and did some research and called some hotels and figured out you know what what are people doing and there really weren't that many options 
sure, you could go down to the Beverly Hills Hotel and you can store your car in the basement, you know, but, but even then, like, what, what is it providing you? It's, you know, a, a, a roof over the car's head and it's keeping it out of the sun, but mm-hmm. it's still not managed and it's still not maintained. Mm-hmm. So while the storage seems like a big part of it, it's a very small piece of it. So then we started looking at the whole thing. You know, when I say we, I, I had a, I had a mentor and, and we were just kind of talking about it and, and it, it's so much more so than just the vehicle storage. It's the management. It's, it's making sure, I mean, these are living, breathing, alive things and they need to be taken care of as such. So what was your conversations with your mentor like? Did you, did you present this idea? Did he present this idea? What, how'd that go? Well, no, I mean, I was just kind of bouncing it off of him. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the first thing that he thought of was it's, it's passive income, which he liked that business model. Mm -hmm. And by passive, I mean, I go to sleep, I go on vacation, I don't come in on the office, you know, for three days and the cars are still sitting. You know, it's very much like owning rental properties Mm -hmm, or something mm -hmm, like that. mm -hmm. Passive. Like, I don't have to actually be there cutting the person's hair to generate revenue. Mm -hmm. You know, and it's only 24 hours in the day, so how many heads of hair can I actually cut? So he originally liked that, that initial business model of it being very passive and it's also very scalable. So I think he, you know, he was drawn to it in that case because it's something that can be replicated very easily and it's not, you know, it's not going to be, I guess, maxed out as a result of how much time is in a day and, and, and how, how much I can give to it. So, um, that's kind of where it started. And then I just fine tuned it and I did a, like a three-year performance, I sent it over to him, and then he uh, he made an investment, and and then we got the building and and took off from there. And Scott, I I, I love the fact I, I talk with so many people in in my business, my writing. Every day I talk to people who who really want uh, super successful people that really want to be able to make a living or do something in the in the car industry, and and sometimes it eludes them and. I, I just love the fact that you, you solved a problem and turned it uh, turned it into such a successful business. Yeah, I mean we're moving in the right direction. You know, it's 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 getting there. It's taken five years to uh, finally get our heads above water, and you know we're we're starting to swim. But uh, yeah, it's just a process. You've also been obviously successful in the world of uh, entertainment. You still juggle these two businesses, and and are, are there similarities? Are there are there differences? I, I mean, it, it it's it's similar in the the fact that you got to work hard at it, and you got to dedicate yourself to it. Um, you know, it, as far as like the the day in day out stuff, I mean, it's, it's kind of it, it, the creativity and the I don't know, the artist side of it, you know, standing in front of a camera is completely different than what I'm doing here, you know, on a daily basis at Auto Concierge. Um, But the foundation of like, I I think it's no different than any kind of job. You know, if you want to be successful at it, you, uh, you got to devote yourself to it and you've got to uh, make a commitment and, and, you know, understand what it is that, you know, find your niche, like, Hey, you know, how as an actor, what, what do I bring to the table that, you know, nobody else does? I mean, there's, there's, you know, this town's filled with people that look like me, you know what I'm saying? I mean, I don't mean like look exactly like me, but 
Um, not according to my team. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, well, no, but you a, know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, it's, it's like yeah. I, I use the analogy of, you know, when my dad, dads were trying to get that fighter slot, you know, there's, there's only so many fighter slots that are available every single year, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And there's, there's 500 guys going for 20 slots mm-hmm. and there's 5,000 six foot three, you know, dark hair, blue eyed, you know, guys that are going for that, that one role. So what is it that I'm doing different? And, and that's kind of the similarity. I mean, what is it, what is it that auto concierge is, is doing different than, you know, that, that storage facility right down the street. Explore that a little bit with, with listeners and with me, what, what is auto concierge doing differently? I guess what's, what's different about it is it's me. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm running the ship, um, you know, but to, to simplify that and break it down, it's, it's, we're not just storage. And, you know, for some people, they, they might listen to this and they may move my competition and they might figure it out. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm shedding some light on it. Mm-hmm. Like if you want to just store cars, by all means, good luck with that. Mm-hmm. But that's, you know, that's not what we do. We create time for our members. Mm-hmm. You know, our members are very successful business men and women in their own right, whatever it may be. If it's finance, if it's the entertainment world, you know, if it's high tech, real estate, whatever, they're very focused on that. And they don't have the time to manage this extracurricular activity lifestyle that they have, which is owning these vehicles. Mm -hmm. And so that's where we come in and we make it very easy for them to do that because it's as simple as them making a phone call saying, Hey, I want this car at this location on this date. And it shows up and it's mechanically sound. Tire pressures are checked. Maintenance has been completed. Fuel is topped off and the car is detailed and it's ready to go. Is this the guy from out of the country? Somebody came in, needed their car, Ready? Yeah, I mean, we've got clients that are, you know, in country, out of country, or whatever. And I mean, we just had a a, a a client call up. You know, it was his, you know, somebody from his team calls up and says, "Hey, we need we need the nine cars at at the house Tuesday at four o'clock." So magically, at four o'clock on Tuesday, all the cars are there. And this is somebody who comes into town maybe five to you know seven times a year. So what happens with those cars when he's not here? Well, that's the whole back office stuff that we take care of. You know, I call it vehicle exercising and, and management. That's, 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 that's the part. That's what sets us apart from the other storage facilities. So tell me about the exercising part. I'm interested. Well, I mean, like I said, these things are living, breathing machines. And if they don't get exercised, they're going to just die and rot, similar to those three cars that I mentioned, you know, earlier, the, the, the 47 Woody's and the 31 Austin, like it, it all started from a dead battery. So, I mean, we do some preventative maintenance so that it doesn't get to that. And that's like the battery maintaining and whatnot. And then we take it a step further, you know, once a month, we'll take these cars out and we'll run them through a heat cycle, you know, put anywhere from like four to six miles on them and, you know, run them through the gears get the suspension moving, you know, it avoids the flat spotting of the tires as well. And it just, it, it gets the cars going. It lubricates all the seals, you know, 
everything from like a set suspension to, you know, the transmission and, and we just check everything, you know, if it's a convertible, we'll put the top down, we'll roll the windows up, roll the windows down, turn the heater on, turn the air conditioner on, check all the blinkers, you know, all that stuff. And then if we notice anything, we'll take it and we'll schedule it with the dealership and we'll take it over to, you know, for the new stuff, most of it's under warranty. So we'll take it to the dealership and then they'll take care of it. And then for the older stuff, we've got specialists that, that, you know, are focused on, you know, the old school Ferraris, you know, obviously that mechanic's different than the mechanic who's going to work on the, you know, on the seventies air cooled Porsches. You know, that mechanic's different than the guy who's a specialist on the Mercedes, you know? So we've identified the best and the best in each kind of, let's just call it world. And then we will essentially quarterback or facilitate any type of repairs that need to be done on those vehicles as a result of exercising them. So this is the whole preventative maintenance stuff that we'll take care of so that when that client does call up and he wants to drive his 72 air cooled Porsche, it's ready to go. Mm -hmm. It's not, Oh, um, we haven't started it in six months and the right rear tires flat sounds like the carburetor's all gummed up and we've got a couple of valve plugs. So that's the storage side of it. So you want to go park your car in, you know, the Beverly Hills hotel and they can charge you 500 bucks a month to do it. Then by all means, go ahead and do it. But what's the point? Because now you have an asset that's kind of a liability. It doesn't work. It sounds to me, Scott, like you're sort of the, and and I have to tell you too, that uh, behind your back, I've got some friends, some good friends, clients that, uh, that know you well, they store their cars with you, and uh, everybody said the same thing. Oh, you got to go meet Scott Elrod. You got to go see Auto Concierge because it's just it's this wonderful place, and and you're you're sort of like the guy. I know you become close friends with these people too. Some cases they they treat you and you treat them like members of the family, but it's sort of like you're watching a friend's pet who's on vacation. You're 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 feeding it and you're taking care of it uh, because they're friends in a lot of cases. Yeah, I mean, they really are, you know, it's, <laughs> I've got a, uh, I've got a gentleman out of country and he comes in maybe once or twice a year and every once in a while he'll send me an email. How's my baby doing? <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, this is, you know, this is a beautiful Rolls Royce and, and, you know, Hey, can you send me a picture of my baby? You know? And it's like it, it, these, you know, for some of these members of ours, these vehicles are extensions of their family. And as such, they need to be be treated, you know, so, right. so it's, it's so much more than, you know, let me stick your car in the corner of the dark, black, cold building. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'll talk to you in six months when you need it. No, I mean, these things are constantly getting the attention that they need and that they deserve so that they can do what they were intended to do, which is run. Scott, do you have a favorite car? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's a question I get all the time and it's a tough one because there's so much cool stuff out there. I, I'm, I'm more of an older kind of guy, like, you know, older cars. Um, don't get me wrong. I mean, the, the new Ford GT coming out, I think is going to be spectacular. Um, the, uh, I mean, then you go to the, the hypercar stuff. I mean, we've got, uh, a couple of, uh, members that are lucky enough to, to get that new Aston Martin Nebula. Um, I mean, that's, that's going to just completely change the game. Uh, and, and they're, they're amazing. Um, but like, I like the old school, you know, air cooled Porsches. Um, 
we've got uh, we've got a, a really cool car in here, a, a 1974 BMW uh, CSL, a 3.0, which is just it's just you know they dub it the Batmobile, and I mean it's you know at the time it was it was actually a phenomenal car, and it still is a phenomenal car, but. You know, we're sitting on all kinds of stuff from the new hypercars and down to old school Alfa Romeros, you know. Um, and fire engines. Yeah, yeah, we've got a guy who has a passion for uh, for fire engines, and, and those are cool, too. And, and um, you know, it's just, it's just cool being around the cars. It's, it's hard to say, like, what... What are the top five cars? Yeah. I've always liked, uh, uh-huh. like, the Gull Wings, you know. Those, oh, yeah. Those things have always, you know phenomenal car and just amazing engineering and what they were doing back then you know it's just wow so really cool what is it about vintage that attracts you so much there's just a history behind it you know and like i mean it's there's there's a rawness to it if that makes sense mm-hmm. i mean nowadays and and like you look at the tesla right phenomenal mm-hmm. i mean the thing practically can drive itself yeah. and it probably will in yeah. the next two years mm-hmm. You know, if Elon has his way, we're going to have autonomous driving vehicles, you know, and that's really cool. Don't get me wrong, but there's something really visceral about one getting in a car that has no electronics with the exception of the person who's sitting in the driver's seat, (laughs) Uh you know? Yeah. And, And by that, I mean the synapses that are taking place in the driver's head in order to control that car the way that he wants to control it. Like there's no, you know, ABS, there's no, you know, uh, traction control, the, the dampening of the suspension, all that. It's all going to be determined based on the input that you give the vehicle. And that's really cool. And the other cool thing about it is when it breaks, you don't need a laptop to fix it. <laughs> you know, you, you're just like, all right, well, we, you know, let's, let's tear the carburetor apart or, you know, whatever it is. Like, it's just, there's just something really cool about that. And, you know, you tell me to fix a La Ferrari or it doesn't start. Like right. I, I, what, what do I do? Power up my laptop? Mm-hmm. I mean, I, you know, and plug into it and, and download a new software and, you know, who knows? Like I don't, again, phenomenal car. Amazing. Mm-hmm. Don't get me wrong, but that's why I like the old stuff because mm-hmm. it's all about, it's all about you as opposed to some electronic machine kind of taking over and, and, and adding into the input that you're giving it to to have it do what it wants to do or what you want it to do. Do you remember, I know you do, do you remember those times when you'd open the hood and you could actually see the motor? Yeah, I mean, it's, it, my dad would joke and he, he gave me this car that came from his grandfather, a 56 Bel Air convertible. And literally you open up the hood and, and he, he would joke about how he would put cases of beer right in front of the radiator. Like that's where they store the beer because that's the last place a policeman's going to look for it is in the engine <laughs> compartment. <laughs> now this might you not know? be a tip we'd uh, want to put on the air, but nonetheless, I love well, it. <laughs> it's, you know, it's like, okay, well, where are you going to put it in your law Ferrari? I mean, I don't even think you could fit a case of beer in the passenger seat, let alone your golf clubs. But you know what I'm saying? Like yeah. you can, yes, I do remember those days. And that's like, you can, you can actually fit your hand down there in the engine compartment with a wrench and, yeah. and do what you need to do with these new, new cars. You, you, you'll be lucky if you get a, a pinky in there. Like yeah. It's just, it's all, and that's amazing. Don't get me wrong, but 
I prefer the old stuff. And you mentioned too, you, you love to fix things. You love to tinker and make it work or better or whatever it is. So that obviously that vintage question fits right into where you've been. Yeah, I had a uh, I had an Audi a uh, an Audi A8. I think it was a 2007 or something like that. And the brakes, you know, after I don't know whatever, however many miles, and and I was like, okay, I'll just I'll just change the brake pads myself. Well, you got to have a computer to tell the electronic e-brake to back out the calipers so that you can put the new pads in right because after you you know uh-huh. you wear the brake pads down uh-huh. obviously the calipers come in closer and closer and closer mm-hmm. and the thickness of the pads are now maybe a, a third of what they were new but like in the old days i just grabbed some you know basically some some channel locks and you just essentially squeeze the piston and the caliper you know back out and then you drop the new pads in there well that wasn't happening on this audi no you need a computer to plug into the computer of the of the car and you go to this setting and you tell it to back out the caliper and then you drop the new pads in well i didn't have this five thousand dollar computer and i certainly wasn't going to go get it so i ended up just taking the car to the you know, the yeah. guy who had it, and uh-huh. then he charged me, you know, $600 to replace my pads when <laughs> half of that was to pay for that computer he had, not to actually do the work. <laughs> <laughs> if you had to wind back to the very beginning of this, knowing what you know now, what would you have changed? Would you have pursued a different angle? What's your takeaway from being a successful businessman now, and you, you wish you'd known a little earlier? Yeah, I, I think it's a catch-22. You could say, well, if I only raised more money, then I would have done this differently. But then maybe you wouldn't have learned the lessons that you learned through the trials and tribulations of getting to where I, you know, mm-hmm. you are right now. Uh-huh. So it's tough. Like, what was I was just talking to somebody, very successful guy. We were we were out uh, we were out at the racetrack on was it Saturday, and he, if he was getting to the point where if only I did this. You know, like I had an opportunity to buy this dealership, but I didn't. And that was the best decision I made because had I bought that decision or had I bought that dealership, I probably would have gone broke because it needed, you know, it needed a lot of, you know, financial, you know, support. And I just didn't have the money. But looking back on it now, you know, sure, it's easy to say, man, if I only bought that dealership back then in 19, you know, 85, right? Sure, it's killing it now, but but there's that whole process. So I, maybe that doesn't make sense, but the best decision I made was the one that I didn't make. And so I, I don't know what I would have done. I mean, it's hard. Like, yeah, and I've had that conversation with myself so many times, and it's like, wow, if I just spent more money on like marketing per se, then maybe it would have driven more revenue. But at the time, I didn't have the money to spend on marketing. Like, I had to pay it to salary for the people who are, you know, supporting me or, or something like that. I mean, I, I look at the building and it's interesting. Like I, I've kind of chopped it up. And for those that haven't seen it, you know, there's the, there's the storage side of it. And then there's this lounge area for our members that I built. Cause I, I thought that they would come in and they would enjoy the lounge and kind of like a, you know, kind of like a, 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 a general meeting place, of like-minded individuals to come and hang out. So I spent all this money on this lounge and the reality of it is, is that my members don't use it because they're so busy doing what they do. And 
you know, they've, they've probably got a, an entertainment center that, you know, is, is nicer than, than this one. And that's the entertainment center on their private jet, <laughs> you know, I, if that makes sense. So it's like, why is he going to drive through traffic and right. come to my facility right. to watch formula one on my, you know, 110 inch, you know, flat screen or, or projector when, when he, you know, one, he doesn't have the time and two, he's got a nicer projector at, at his house is, is what I'm getting at. Um, so that's what I would have done differently, you know, with regards to the building, I maybe would have, would have had more storage instead of more lounge. Um, but as far as like, a, yeah, I, I, I can't say that I would have changed anything. I mean, I'm here as a result of the, of the steps that I took, whether they be the right steps or the wrong steps, somehow I navigated back on path and I got to where I am. So I, I don't know. I, it's it's a tough question to answer. After I read your bio, which is wonderful, you do not seem like the kind of guy who rests on his laurels. Now, Auto Concierge, what's the, what's the future like? What do you want to do? Where are you, where are you going with this whole thing now? Well, we're, we've, in the last six months, we've been evaluating. I've brought a couple of people on the team to, to really help me take this thing to the next level, and it's all about expansion right now. And uh, it's about making the right decisions to do that. We, uh, we originally were talking about, you know, going into a couple of different markets outside of LA and, and looking at that. And we've identified, you know, the need for it in other markets. But I think it's important that we keep everything close to home just so that I can keep a pulse on everything. And, you know, I've got an 11 month old son at home. And the last thing I want to do is be flying out to a different state and, you know, curating this, 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 this infant sort of speak business into, uh, into young adulthood. So, um, you know, the next, I would say five years, you're going to see multiple facilities start popping up and, and us getting a, a really good stronghold handle on, on, on the market here in, in Southern California and developing some, some key partnerships and relationships with, uh, you know, certain industries within the car industry that, uh, will ensure that, we're very successful and uh, we're still having, you know, potential for a conversation 10 years from now. If I had to wrap up and, and kind of talk back about some of the things that you've said, I think some of it has to do with the fact that you have been successful in finding people's pain points, that they were unhappy with something and you turned that into a successful career. One of my takeaways would have to be right away, uh, look for problems that people have and try and solve them. And and you did. Yeah. And that was a process. I mean, certainly what we were doing day one uh, wasn't, you know, to the extent of what we're doing now. Um, it's, it, you know, I, I needed that customer to essentially educate me if that makes sense. I mean, I, I needed to, to identify with the customer and see what their trials and tribulations were with regards to owning these vehicles. And as a result, then I kind of picked up on that stuff. And then we developed a process that sort of caters to that, if that makes sense. It Which, does. You know, I, I keep going back to it. It's, it's asset management. I mean, that's really what we're doing. Um, it's, it's, and then at the end of the day, it's, creating time for our members because they don't have the time. I mean, pretty much every single member we have could go out and purchase their own storage facility. Like they can go buy a building and just store their cars in it, but that doesn't solve the problem. Right. You know, I, I use the analogy of like the Jay Leno's of the world, right? There's, you know, I mean, first of all, Jay's 
Jay's a mechanic that happened to have a TV show. And don't get me wrong, I'm not putting down people on TV or mechanics. Like the reason Jay's passion is cars. I mean, that's really, you know, what he does. And, and he's got he's got an entire staff that, you know, helps him manage and maintain all of the, the vehicles that he has. And, and Jay's right there with him. I mean, literally, I, I remember one time having you know, gone out to his facility and he was, he was priming the steam, steam car and getting it ready. And then, <laughs> I mean, he was literally hands were dirty, sleeves were rolled up and he's working on this thing. Like he knows more about those cars than probably the guys that are, that are working with him. But, you know, so w- my members are a little different than Jay and that sure they've got the assets and the ability to go out and buy the facility, but then they need to have a whole staff. And what I've kind of done is I've, I've brought, brought together a solution that could then be, you know, essentially divided by all my members and then reduces their cost in ensuring these things continue to run, if that makes sense. And it does. It makes great sense, Scott. And I'm thrilled to see how successful you've been. I know it hasn't been an easy process but you've taken your passion for fast things and turned them into this great enterprise. And I can do no more but wish you great success. I'm really looking forward to watching whatever you do here in Los Angeles expand. I want to thank you, of course, for taking the time to be on our show today. And I hope people get as much out of this as I have because it's been a great experience listening to you. Now, where do people find you? What's uh, what's the best point of contact for Auto Concierge? Yeah, I mean the website will lead you to uh, phone numbers and and all that stuff. And there's a uh, there's a connect on there and contacts, which will automatically just pop up in an email and, and send us an email. But it's uh, autoconcierge.co, and uh, again, it's .co, not .com. <laughs> Something I, yeah, actually, that's the one thing that I would have changed. <laughs> I would have not done the .co, but anyway. <laughs> Okay, there we go. And what's, what's the phone number at your shop in case somebody flies in and they just want to come over and say hi, look at the facility? Yeah, best number is uh, 310-979-5900. Scott Elrod, it has been not only fun to talk with you, but certainly enlightening about how you have come to grow this successful business. I look forward to following you in the future. Can't wait to invite you back on the show. I appreciate your time, my friend. Have a great day, Scott. Thanks a lot. You too. Cheers. Thank you for listening today, and I hope you enjoyed the show. Let us know what you think. Go to drivewithdavepodcast.com and find out how to leave us a review on iTunes. I hope it's a good one, which we would very much appreciate. And there's a way to email us your questions, comments, and who you want on the show as well. All the episodes of Drive With Dave Podcast are on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Stitcher. And an overview of all the shows with links can be found on drivewithdave.com. Don't miss an episode. When you subscribe to the podcast, your device will be automatically updated with the new episodes and old ones will be removed after you've listened to them. No work required. I hope you also check out our bi-monthly newsletter, which will keep you in the know. And you can sign up at drivewithdave.com.